Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renter insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. All right, listen up. If you've got credit card debt or you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if I can save you money. It's a matter of how much and right now for how much longer it looks like interest rates are starting to creep up. This could be your last chance to take advantage of these unbelievable rates. If you hurry to save with Conrad.com right now, you can be one of our next great success stories. Just like Zach and Griffin, Indiana, we hooked him up. He left us a five-star review and here's what he had to say. Derek and company made the process quick and painless. Everything was done online. No mortgage payments for two months. And when I do start paying, it'll be $500 cheaper than what I was paying. Thanks again for all of you that have helped. Being a wrestling fan has definitely paid off. Listen, don't take my word for it. Get yourself a quick quote right now. Here's the worst case. If we can't save you any money, we won't waste your time. But you don't need perfect credit to do this. You don't need any money out of your pocket to do this. And we're licensed in more than 40 states. So why wouldn't you at least take a look at SaveWithConrad.com? NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did you hear what Zach said? No payments for two months. We're talking no payments in March or April. You're done until May. Come on, find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to the Kurt Angle show. And of course we couldn't do it without the hall of famer and the Olympian himself, Mr. Kurt Angle. Kurt, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Welcome to my show. <laughs> I, uh, I'm so tickled to have you here, man. I think we, uh, we got some clicks last week with the announcement that you're doing a podcast. Now I was a little overwhelmed with the response. Thanks yeah, to our friends so over at was... sports illustrated too, who helped break the news. Were you? Yeah, thanks to Justin. That was really awesome. The the story that he, you know, he put out and uh, the response was incredible. I was really excited. I uh, I didn't know what to expect, but boy, we're we're excited to have you here. And of course, you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com, including video of the show. Last week we talked about Kurt's WrestleMania main event, WrestleMania 19, one of the more iconic WrestleManias of all time. Uh, certainly, people wanted to hear about. Uh, the, the botched shooting star, but the story leading up to the pay-per-view I thought was even more interesting. So we're going to double down on that talk today. And our topic will be from the Olympics to the WWF. What a journey that was. Uh, I'm sure another time we'll tell the whole story of getting to the Olympics and winning the gold in 96. But when you look back, it doesn't exactly feel like this was the original plan. Uh, you win that championship or that gold medal in 1996, but you don't debut in the WWE until 1999. So we're going to try to fill the gaps here. Okay. Uh, as we, we get ready for 
a big anniversary moment. I'm sure we'll talk about the Olympics a little more, but you wrote in your book that you're supposed to stay in Atlanta for the remainder of the Olympic games uh, games, but everything changed once you won the gold. Uh, the Rooney family who owned the Pittsburgh Steelers flew you back to Pittsburgh because they wanted to honor you at halftime of a preseason game at three river stadium. But before you get to the game, you, uh, go play music with Jimmy Buffett's band. My goodness. You become a rock star overnight when you win the gold, huh? <laughs> I became a celebrity. I was overwhelmed. Uh, you know, everybody wanted a piece of Kurt angle. Uh, it was it was very uh, exciting, um, you know, uh, being in Atlanta and representing my country in Olympic Games was, was one of the greatest things I ever did. And uh, having my, you know, my NFL team fly me back to Pittsburgh to introduce me at one of the preseason games and uh, celebrate my Olympic victory was unforgettable. 60,000 fans in the arena, in the stadium. It was so cool. And uh, you know, while I was there, uh, Jimmy Buffett, somehow his management team con- contacted my manager and said, we like him. to. We heard he played the drums and we like him to come out and play a few songs with us at the amphitheater in Pittsburgh. So I went out there after the game. But the, 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 <laughs> the highlight was the, you know, being at the, you know, I guess it was Three River Stadium back then. It wasn't Heinz Field yet, but. Being at the NFL football game, the preseason game against the Rams, that was very memorable. It's pretty unbelievable, you know, that you win the gold medal uh, and Jimmy Buffett's band wants to know if you'll come play the drums. And, oh, by the way, we want to honor you at an NFL, not just any NFL stadium, your NFL stadium. And we found in our research, and I, I can't believe I hadn't heard this before. Back in 93, you even tried out for the Steelers as a fullback before you pursued the Olympics. Is that right? Yes, I tried out. Uh, what, what what happened was it was 1994, and I wasn't having really good luck making the Olympic team and the world team. You know, the Olympics and the Worlds is every year. You have Olympics every four years, and the Worlds is every year. So uh, they have Olympic teams and world team tryouts, and the first two years in 1993-94 – I didn't make the team. I was either second or third. And I, I didn't think I was, I wasn't confident enough to beat the guy that was in front of me. And uh, I decided that I was going to quit wrestling and try out for pro football. <laughs> and I, you know, I had someone contact the Steelers and they were open to have a tryout with me. And I went down there to the three river stadium and uh, did the, all the, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the display, what they do, uh, you know, put me through the ringer is basically what they did. And, you know, the 40 yard dash, the shuttle run, uh, doing pass routes, catching with one hand, catching with the other, uh, a lot of different, um, you know, I guess the word is, uh, almost like a combine. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much a combine. So, um, I did that and they, they weren't interested. Uh, the, the thing is, I, I tried out at a skilled position. A skilled position is either uh, backfield, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, defensive back. It's it's a, a position with more skill than than the line. And uh, you know, the not many um, athletes have ever made a pro team not playing college football. I didn't play college football, 
So I knew the odds were stacked against me. And when I tried out, I, I did pretty well. Um, I didn't run a very fast 40. It was a 4.7. And uh, I think that's what really hurt me. But um, they decided not to, you know, go forward. So I didn't have a choice. I went, I decided I was going to go back to wrestling. And I did. And I made myself a promise that I would do everything I could possible to make, you know, make my dream come true. And I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to lack the confidence. That that was my problem back then is I, I was, uh, my confidence was really hurting at the time and I needed to build it up. Had you just decided, I know I want to make a living as a professional athlete. So and I'm sure we're going to talk about it another time or maybe even later today, but there's not a ton of opportunities to make money in, in a, in a wrestling sport outside of professional wrestling. And, and, and I know we're going to talk about that in a moment, but did you just think, Hey, if this isn't working out exactly as I'd hoped to really make the Olympic team, maybe I can still make a, a living for myself as a pro football player. Yeah. You know, I, that, that, that was my mindset. I, you know, I, I figured that I would do something, uh, I would, you know, I guess you'd be more successful in athletics if right. I continued on. So I was a great football player in high school and I, you know, deciding to wrestle in college was the, the move I made. And I, you know, thank God I did. It was the right move, but you know, it, it was, it was a really, you know, difficult time for me in 93, 94. And I had to get myself straight and I did. What position did you play in high school in football? I was fullback and linebacker, inside linebacker. Okay. And I was all state. So I, I did pretty well. I got recruited. Uh, a lot of colleges recruited me, uh, but I passed on them and went with the wrestling. Well, as we said earlier, Kurt didn't always want to become a professional wrestler. In your book, you even said your first reaction to being presented that opportunity was. All my life, I'd been told, uh, never to watch pro wrestling. It was garbage. Everyone told me that was the unanimous feeling of anyone involved in amateur wrestling. So deep down, I knew I'd never accept their offer, but I have to admit the money got my attention. I hated to waste their time, but I was curious. So I accepted their invitation to a tour of their facilities in Stanford, Connecticut. So you didn't watch wrestling as a kid. What was your exposure to it as a kid? I I knew a handful of wrestlers. I, I was always told not to watch it, that it was a bunch of trash and I was the real deal and they were fake and yeah. You know, so I, I was I was geared away from it. I was, you know, directed away from it. And you know, I knew Bruno San Martino and Hulk Hogan, uh The Undertaker, uh, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I you know, I've heard of him, The Rock, but uh, other than that, I didn't, I wasn't that educated in pro wrestling and, um, I didn't know, <laughs> you know, what I was going to get myself into. So, uh, it was, it was a little weird, uh, you know, be in that position and not know what to do. We're going to talk about your invite to go talk with the McMahons, but first I want to mention, you also had a trip to New York to be on live with Regis and Kathy Lee, which was a big deal. And you noted in your book that that appearance was a lot of fun and Regis put on a wrestling singlet and you got him on the mat and you were, uh, I mean, it's, it's a comedy segment and, 
I think you said something that was pretty funny. I just want to know one thing. Regis, where's your microphone? <laughs> yeah. And he laughed. You don't want to know angle. How great was Regis, man? Regis was so entertaining. Uh, I was always a fan of his. My mother, he was, you know, he was her favorite uh, talk show host. And uh, to go up there and, you know, to be on his show with Regis and Kathy Lee, uh, that was a huge hit for me because my mother thought I was the greatest thing in the world being on Regis's show. Um, but he was really funny, very friendly, uh, one of the kindest guys I ever met. And he never forgot you. Uh, when you, he met you once, he always remembered who you were. He was, he was a really great man. And I, I really enjoyed being on his show. Well, once you finish the show, you jump in a stretch limo and you're headed to the WWE HQ. And uh, of course that's in Stanford, Connecticut. You wrote in your book, you were impressed with the facility there, uh, Titan towers, as it was called at the time. And you're even impressed with the presentation by the McMahons. And I want to mention Bruce and I have covered your career over on the okay. something to wrestle podcast. And I think that you had those Olympic games, uh, those Olympic matches on like July 30th and 31st and roughly yes. a little over a month later, here you are meeting with Vince. I think it was September 5th, 1996. And at the time Meltzer wrote, they must feel that there's a decent shot of getting him because the fact that it was announced on television when there is no deal done at this point. Interest has also been expressed, uh, in Matt, uh, Gaffari, who took the silver in Greco Roman in the super heavyweight division, uh, before ultimately losing, but either way though, tell us about your, uh, your first meeting with Vince here on September 5th, 1996. Well, I, I didn't know what I was getting into and, you know, going up there and, you know, get them, give me the whole limo treatment and first class, you know, airfare and, uh, treating me like uh, an important person, uh, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, they show up and go into Vince's office and talk to him was a bit overwhelming. I, I knew of him, I knew who he was, and uh, you know what he's accomplished in his life. And uh, uh, to meet with him, and you know, he he straight up just gave me a deal, ten year deal. This is what it is. This is what you're gonna get. Um, you know, take it or leave it. And I, I asked them if I could talk to my agent first before I decided, but, uh, you know, so Vince said, okay, that's fine. The meeting wasn't that long. It was, uh, relatively short, but, um, you know, I told him I was interested, but I didn't know if I was going to sign it or not. You wrote in your book, despite the interest and positivity, um, you were more likely to join the circus than the world wrestling federation <laughs> yes. today's episode is sponsored by blue chew let's talk about something we can all use a little more right now of sex what about great sex guys now you can improve your performance and get the extra confidence in bed listen up it's bluechew.com that's blue like the color blue Blue Chew brings you the world's first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is made in the USA. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor or wait in line. It's cheaper than a pharmacy, and they prepare and ship it right to you, all in a discreet package. No awkwardness, and you don't need to leave the house. 
If you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code ANGLE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, and the promo code is ANGLE to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use promo code angle at bluechew.com. So you still had this disdain for pro wrestling. Is it just because you thought they were making a mockery of amateur wrestling or you just viewed it as silly or were you still sort of subscribing to what you had been raised with? It's just trash entertainment. Uh, I was brainwashed. I, I was, you know, told that, uh, that, it's not something you'd be interested in. Uh, you know, they didn't even, you know, the, the people that were telling me not to do it, didn't even understand it. They didn't understand that it was sports entertainment. They, they thought it was a bunch of stunts these guys were doing and, um, you know, fake fighting and they didn't realize there's psychology involved and there's charisma and athleticism. And, uh, you know, they, they just kind of, felt like they were taking the back seat to pro wrestling. Amateur wrestling was the small league and the pro wrestling was the big league. And uh, they took offense to that. So it was very hard situation for me to be in, if you know what I mean, because, you know, I was an ambassador for amateur wrestling now, being an Olympic gold medalist. And here I am, I'm selling out to the WWE if I go. So it, it was a really hard decision. And my, my agent is the one that decided for me. And he was an amateur wrestling as he was an amateur wrestler as well. He also played pro football. Uh, You're going to talk about him, I think later on Ralph Sindrich. And uh, he decided that you're not going to do this garbage. You're the real deal. I'm going to get you something else. And, you know, it was, it was tough because, you know, winning the Olympic gold medal was, you know, the highlight of my life, if I would have died the next day, it wouldn't have mattered. I would have been the happiest man in the world. But, you know, I, I, I didn't plan for anything after that. I didn't start my brand after that. I didn't do anything to promote myself. I thought people were going to come to me. And, you know, after a year after the Olympics, people start, stop coming. They don't, they don't ask for you anymore. You, you're, you're, your celebrity status wears out and, you know, having the only, you know, I had a, a few endorsements and stuff, but I wasn't going out seeking. I was waiting and WLB is the one that knocked on my door and I turned them down. So, you know, was it a mistake? Um, yes, because I ended up signing with them anyway, but you know, it was, uh, it was a paused mistake. I still eventually signed with them. Yeah. Let's talk about that in between though, because after you have this first meeting with Vince and I think maybe other people were involved in the meeting, who all was there in the first meeting? I assume it happened in Vince's office was Vince, J.R. Bruce, that usual cast and crew there. Yes. It was Vince, J.R. and Bruce. Uh, Bruce says that you had a follow-up meeting with him. And in this follow-up meeting, you expressed that. Hey, I can't ever lose. Uh, and he sort of realized then, okay, he doesn't really understand pro wrestling. 
Do you remember the follow-up meeting with Bruce and saying, Hey, I can't lose. Yes. That was a short meeting too. <laughs> I, he, he, he ended it pretty quickly. You know, he just, he just said, Hey, this is the deal. This is what you're going to get. Um, you know, we, we can start talking about creative stuff with you once you sign, uh, you know, but you're going to have to, uh, um, what, what was, what were we just talking about? Uh, the follow-up meeting with, with Bruce yeah. and that you don't want to lose. Oh, I, yeah. So I told him, I told him, uh, well, just so you know, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. I haven't lost a match in years. Um, I can't lose. <laughs> and, you know, you could see the surprised look on his face, like what the hell is this kid talking about? And Bruce just ended the meeting. He said, okay, we're, we're good. This meeting's over. And uh, I didn't know if he was offended or not. I, you know, he didn't seem upset, but I think he just said, okay, this guy's not getting it. We're not going to be able to sign him. So. And you wrote in your book, uh, that feeling was so was ingrained in me so deeply at the time that right after the Olympics, I couldn't imagine working for the world wrestling federation. I lived and breathed nothing but amateur wrestling for years after high school. I didn't even watch other sports. I had such tonal vision that nothing else mattered. I watched ESPN sports center at night, but that was about it. I didn't even watch the NFL and I'd always been a huge football fan, but that's the culture of amateur wrestling. It breeds an us against the world mentality. And at the time I was the symbol for the entire sport because I just won the gold medal and received all the national publicity. Joining the WWF at the time was unthinkable to me. When I took the McMahon's contract back to Pittsburgh and showed it to my agent, he was a well-known sports agent who represented a number of NFL players. And he said, you don't want to do this and tore it up right in front of me. And you sort of talked about that a little bit. Uh, Ralph, what was your relationship like with Ralph, the agent? Well, Ralph seeked me. He, he found me. He, um, he was a former all American wrestler for the university of Pitt. And he also played football for Pitt and he played a few years in the NFL. He became a, a, an agent, attorney agent, NFL agent. And, um, when I won the gold medal in the Olympics, he reached out to me and said he wanted to represent me, that he was going to protect me and uh, make sure that I made the right move. So it was a smart move to get Ralph involved. I just, you know, he, he didn't give me the right advice on WWE, but I, I also think that Ralph didn't understand what pro wrestling was all about either. I don't think he had any interest in it. So he never watched it. And I think that most people that feel that way about pro wrestling are not fans. They haven't watched. And if they did watch, they would be fans. So it's, you know, but Ralph was a good guy. He, he, he treated me well. And, you know, he, he didn't get a lot of endorsements for me, but you know, he, he protected me at the right times. Let me ask, do you remember the terms of that offer that either Vince or Bruce gave you in the, in the first or second meeting? Do you remember those numbers or, or dates? Yes, uh, they, they were. It was a half a million a year for ten years, so it was hmm. a five million dollar, you know, uh, deal. Uh, that's that's guaranteed. You know, you make more if you work more, all sure. that stuff. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I never had money, so this was like a godsend. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be rich. Um, you know, my my family, you know, we're we're. I grew up, we were laborers and, 
you know, my brothers are laborers and my parents are, were laborers. Uh, so we, we never had money. So this was the first time I was, it was looking me in the eye and I was like, Oh my gosh, I got, I, I have to do this. Right. And, uh, it was, it was really difficult to pass up. Um, you know, seeing that type of money at the time when I never had money was incredible. I was overwhelmed. Let's also mention, and I know we're going to talk about this another time, but and, I, and I'm really excited for us to have it as a topic, but just briefly, there's not a lot of fame or, 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 or glory or cash in training for the Olympics. I mean, these guys are dedicating their entire life to something and it's not like they're hanging out at the Ritz Carlton when they're doing so. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, you're not making hardly any money. Uh, you, you know, back then at that time, USA wrestling was paying a stipend for the number one man on the Olympic team, a thousand dollars a month. So that, that's all you got. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad back then. And now it's, there's money involved. So they, they make a lot more money. They, they actually, when I won the gold in the Olympics in 96, I made 35 grand. That was it. That was from the Olympic committee. That was my prize for winning a gold medal for dedicating your uh, whole life to this. Here's 35 grand. Yes. yes. Now I heard it's up to, you know, I heard the rumors that it's up to 500,000 to win. Some say it was 250, but it's a lot more money now. Yeah. And I think the stipends are a lot higher, uh, the monthly stipends. But um, my, my club, Foxcatcher, the thing was, if you were involved in a club, then USA Wrestling, the Olympic Committee, didn't pay you. The club paid you. Right. So I, I couldn't get from both. So I, had, I went with my club fox catcher and they would pay me the thousand dollars a month but i had the fundraise i i didn't have a lot of money i did you know i, I wasn't coaching anymore i wasn't uh i was my full-time job was training right so i had to go out and fundraise and i was selling posters and you know uh wrestling memorabilia and whatever i could to, to earn a buck to take care of my costs of travel and food and everything so um, it was a really hard time to be a, a, an amateur athlete, an Olympic athlete back then. And uh, that's why a lot of athletes, uh, after college, they retire. Because uh, back then, you, you, you know, if you had a family and, uh, and you just graduate college and you're married and have a kid, you're not making enough money by doing amateur wrestling. So you're going to have to quit and get a job. So, uh, you know, it, it was really difficult. I, I had a hard time making ends meet, but I, we, we worked it out. My family, we were a team and we, we made sure that I made just enough to, you know, take care of the bills. So after your family has helped sort of support you like this, and they hear that you have a half a million dollar offer, but you're not going to pursue it. <laughs> how did that go over? Oh, that was, that was not good. They <laughs> thought I was crazy. They thought, why wouldn't you take it? And I said, I, Ralph Sanders told me not to. Right. They're like, damn Ralph. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> so, you know, it, it was, it was a difficult time. It was, you know, my family, they weren't that upset, but they were, you know, they, they, they weren't very happy that I didn't, that I made that decision and, and it weighed on my mind. 
I mean, you know, those next two years that I sat idle, um, you know, it made me think, you know, how upset they were and why I didn't take the deal. And, uh, you know, I, I noticed that things were closing up for me because a couple of years passed since the Olympics and nobody's knocking on my door anymore. So uh, it's time to make a move. And that's what I did. Let's, uh, let's talk about on the way there. Uh, it's reported in the observer that you're going to attempt to pursue the Olympics again in the year 2000. Uh, that happens on September 30th is when Dave reports that on the 14th of October, it's reported that you've officially decided against doing any pro wrestling before we talk about what's going to happen next, which is going to be probably the most talked about thing on the show. I do want to ask about 2000 because I had read at the time, I remember reading that you were going to try to do it again. Was that the initial plan to pursue the Olympics one more time in the year 2000? Well, the plan was not to pursue the Olympics. Okay. I, uh, I, I, I broke my neck before the, the Olympics in 1996. And, uh, when I got done and I won the gold, I just won my neck to heal up and, uh, and retire from amateur wrestling and look for something else. But, you know, the more I looked, the more things were not coming up the right way. Uh, you know, not, there, there were not that many opportunities for me. And it was really tough to accept. I mean, I just won the gold medal in the Olympics. And I'm not getting much money for, you know, being who I am and what I accomplished. And, so I decided, you know, I'm going to try out for pro wrestling. I'm going to, I actually called the WWE, uh, you know, in 1998 and uh, asked if that contract still stood. And <laughs> J, JR said, hell no, uh, you're going to have to try out. And uh, if you do make it, you're going to get a training contract. And that training contract was $52,000 a year. So it went from 500 grand a year to $52,000 a year. Well, they had the leverage at the time, I guess. Before yes. We- and, and you know what? That's, that's my life. I've always been the underdog. Uh, I, I didn't expect anything different. I knew that the good Lord was going to make me work for it. He always has and always will. So I, I knew it wasn't going to be an easy ride. I knew that I'd have to suck it up and accept less money and, try out instead of, I had a guaranteed offer, whether I was good at it or not. And I turned it down. Now I have to try out. Right. And if I, if I'm good enough, they'll sign me to a training contract. That's not even close to the first contract. So it was a really humbling experience. Before we get there, you make a now infamous appearance at the ECW arena. Oh God. As the story has been told, you had a, uh, friendship or at least, uh, an acquaintance in Shane Douglas, who is also, uh, a Pittsburgh guy. And he's one of the main guys, one of the top stars at ECW. I just saw him yesterday. Oh, really? What's your relationship like with Shane? Uh, you know what? Back then, um, you know, uh, we're good friends. We don't see each other quite a lot, but you know, every once in a while we'll run into each other at a signing. But back then he, he knew a friend of mine and, got my, my number from his friend and my friend, our friend and mutual friend. And uh, he called me and he said, Hey, we have this uh, company that is more geared toward 
your type of wrestling, your Olympic wrestling, uh, than pro wrestling. And it's called ECW. Okay, so he's telling me this is looks more like Olympic wrestling <laughs> than it does pro wrestling. So I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So you guys are starting a pro amateur wrestling league. He goes, no, no, it's it's pro wrestling, but it's it looks more like amateur wrestling. Okay. And that's why they put the Taz match in there, just to make me happy, you know, when they were doing it. Him and Guido did amateur wrestling at the show that I went to when uh, when Shane Shane asked me to be a part of the ECW show. So uh, it was going to be in Philadelphia, and, uh, you know, they were going to pay me a good amount of money. So I decided that I would do it, and I was excited because I thought it was more toward geared toward amateur wrestling. So when I get there, I'm meeting the boys. And they, <laughs> they got, yeah, they're all tattooed up, long hair, you know, uh, got their gear on and, you know, torn jeans and, you know, Raven's got, you know, uh, he's holding a chair and Sandman's holding a kendo stick and, you know, someone else is holding a ladder. And I'm like, this is supposed to be amateur wrestling. Right. This, this is worse than the WWE. So it was, it was a very wide open, eye opening experience to, uh, be a part of the show. And, you know, what happened during the show was just crazy. Let's talk about that. Before we do, I want to mention they have you do an interview and, um, then they have you help do some commentary on the match with Taz and little Guido. So you got to meet Joey styles here. Uh, Taz is going to say that Kurt angles, the best amateur wrestler in the world, but I'm going to show you the difference between the best amateur and the best professional wrestler. So that's a nice little piece of storytelling and tying yes. you in, I guess, but yes. then it's time for the world title match and Sandman retains his ECW title pinning Scorpio after Scorpio missed a move off the top rope, but that's not the real story. It's what happened after the match. Raven hits the ring along with Stevie Richards, blue Meanie, supernova. And of course, Lori Fullington, Sandman's wife, and they destroy Sandman caning him in the eye. They bust him open. And finally Raven pulls out a cross from under the ring. Yes. A crucifixion is going to happen. They tie the Sandman to the cross, put barbed wire on his head. Like it's the crown of thorn. They put on Jesus and crucify him at the ECW arena. And the angle is even too extreme for ECW because after intermission, Raven comes out in the ring out of character and said he was coming out as Scott Levy and apologizing to anyone who may have been offended by what happened. And it's in the observer from what we're told angle backstage was really upset about the angle thinking it might ruin his image and feeling double crossed about being there. And there were some fans who freaked out about it, but it is doubtful that angle will ever be back. And the rumor and innuendo was that you told Heyman you were leaving and this better never air on TV or else you'd have your attorney get involved. What do you remember about seeing a crucifixion at the ECW arena? Well, you have to understand I'm a, I'm a Christian kid from Pittsburgh. Um, you know, a Catholic Christian and, you know, the see the, the crucifixion was really offensive, uh, yeah. you know, but, but back then I, I do want to say this cause I need to get this off my chest. I, I didn't understand 
the storytelling of pro wrestling and how you want to get the wow factor and, you know, uh, surprise people and get them excited or get them pissed off. There's a lot of emotion is involved in pro wrestling. Right. On the story. So back then I didn't get all that. I didn't understand it. Um, when I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is a crucifixion. Like this is someone portraying Jesus on a cross and, I can't believe I'm here. Right. Like, so, you know, I, I went, I, I was really upset and I went to Paul Heyman. I said, Hey, I can't be on the same show as this. Right. You can't air this show with me on it. If you do, you're going to hear from my attorney. And Paul said, well, I didn't, I didn't even know what's going to happen. And I was like, <laughs> okay, he, sure. he's the promoter. It's the main event. And he doesn't know this is going to happen. He's full of shit. So yeah. You know, and, and Paul, I love Paul. He's a great guy, but you know, he, he, he basically lied to me and I understand why he just trying to take the heat off of himself. Right. And, you know, I, I, I was serious. I, I told him I'm going to sue you if I end up on the same show. So I know they didn't air this it on the same show as me, or if they might've, I don't know if they took the crucifixion off or it never aired as they, far as I know. Okay. So I, you know, I, I won that battle, but uh, it definitely scared me away from pro wrestling. I was like terrified. That was, <laughs> that was my last straw. And, uh, and that, I think that was what 96 still. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Late 96. So, um, that was my introduction to pro wrestling. <laughs> it was, it was overwhelming. <laughs> I'm sure you thought on your ride back boy, my agent was right. This is trash. I don't need to do this. Yes. I, I definitely thought that this was not the thing I wanted to do. Um, I, I don't like offending people. Uh, but at the same time, when I got to WWE, um, my, my attitude changed. Yeah. You know, when I started at WWE, uh, I started getting what it's all about and understanding it. It was actually in early 1998. I started watching it on TV. I started watching Monday Night Raw. And what caught me was uh, Austin and Rock, Undertaker, Triple H. Uh, it was it was a fun show to watch. And they yeah. were very athletic. Um, I, I was really surprised at their athleticism. And, you know, seeing them go through the ring... It, it, the 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 issue was I still thought it was a bunch of stunts. I didn't know there was psychology and storytelling involved. So I just thought that I was going to, you know, go back to WWE eventually and, and um, you know, get a job and do my stunts and go home. That's I thought, you know, pro wrestlers were Hollywood stuntmen. Basically, that was it. So I thought, you know, I, I didn't understand – that uh, there was, you know, some wrestling involved in pro wrestling. And uh, so it was, it was a, a eye-opening experience for me. Saturday and Sunday morning cartoons were one of the best parts of growing up. And so was eating cereal, but eventually we have to give that up. You realize it's full of sugar and other junk you probably shouldn't be eating. Besides, if you want to become a wrestling machine, an Olympic gold medalist, and you're a hero, it's true, it's true. You got to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy food, but you're probably going to think, man, I can't eat anything anymore. 
If you've been drinking protein shakes and powders, well, here's another way to get your protein before or after your workouts. And right here at the new year, we're all trying to eat a little better, but a healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Thanks to magic spoon. They've got all the amazing flavors you love without all the bad stuff. Check this out. Zero sugar, zero sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein. And of course, only four net grams of carbs in each serving. There's only 140 calories in each serving. By the way, it's keto friendly. It's gluten free. It's grain free. It's soy free. It's low carb and GMO free. They've got an awesome variety pack now with cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. I got to tell you, this peanut butter stuff tastes exactly like peanut butter cup. You got to check it out. It's a favorite at my house. You're going to love it too. By the way, this tastes exactly like regular cereal that you grew up on as a kid, but it's super nutritious and it's delicious. But now it's a very healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings or afternoons. Check it out right now. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash angle to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code angle at checkout to save $5 off your order. By the way, Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, you get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash angle and use the promo code angle to save $5 off. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring our podcast and an awesome breakfast. Well, after you do this CCW experiment, you become a spokesperson for a pizza chain called the pizza outlet and the commercial, which aired throughout 1997 showed you getting a pizza delivered and telling the driver to keep the change. And then a tomato and a green pepper have a wrestling match on top of the pizza while an onion referees, of course, the pepper wins. And then it gets on Kurt's shoulder cries and Kurt's acting like he's about to cry and says, oh man, that was beautiful. A little tribute to you crying when you won the Olympics, but yes. pizza outlet, I think was founded in 88 and, uh, it's like a, a cheap pizza alternative near the university of Pittsburgh. And I don't know. I don't think when you think about stuff you would have endorsed over the years, pizza would have been the deal. <laughs> How did this come together? Uh, you know what? They came to me. Uh, they came to my manager and said they wanted to do a commercial and uh, they had some things planned. They wanted to have a wrestling match with all the vegetables on the pizza. And they they wanted me to cheer them on. And I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was a great endorsement. I got a lot of money for it. And, you know, it was it was pretty cool to do it. it I mean, it was my first commercial. So I was I was elated about it. And it's funny because, you know, we use that same commercial in WWE. Yeah, years and, uh, later. Yeah. And, uh, it was, you know, it was more to make fun of me, which was pretty cool. I think the rock was the one that, uh, brought it to my attention that I did this years ago. That's right. And, uh, um, it was, I, I don't mind making an, making myself look like an ass. Right. I, I like to be made fun of. I like to, um, you know, put myself in those situations where, you know, I'm the butt of a joke. So, uh, that, that was cool. I, I, I love doing that. And I think that's the reason I was so successful in WWE was I wasn't afraid to make an ass out of myself. Uh, a lot, a lot of wrestlers have that conscious, you know, decision to, they always want to look cool and they're not going to want to look bad. 
And uh, I I didn't mind doing the looking bad part. I I thought that it would make my character much bigger and better, and it did. Well, of course, uh, if you're looking to be bigger and better in a good way, you need to go to physicallyfit.com. That's what Kurt's <laughs> endorsing these days. It's not pizza. It's chicken snacks, and they've got a ton of different flavors. We've gotten great feedback just from last week's episode, Kurt. People are digging chicken snacks. You can pick up yours right now at physicallyfit.com. You'll want to click at the top where it says where to buy, and you might even see a store near you. But if you don't, don't worry. You scroll down to the bottom, click order now online. And man, you got everything from honey mustard to brown sugar, to sour cream and onion, to spicy Buffalo. People are loving chicken snacks and it's a healthy snack, right? Kurt? Yes. It's, it's high protein, low carbohydrate. Uh, we've done a great job, uh, engineering this it's made from uh, real meat, white meat, chicken. Uh, and we flavored the, 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 we, we made them into a Chex mix type of texture and we flavored them different flavors, honey, barbecue and Sriracha, you know, uh, Kung Po cinnamon swirl. Uh, and then we have the plant protein, which is the smart snacks, uh, for people that like plant protein and, uh, you can get those at physicallyfit.com. So check them out. If you haven't already, let's talk about another unfortunate incident that, uh, maybe in hindsight, it's kind of fun It involved the boy scouts. You were supposed to do an appearance in Pittsburgh and you couldn't make it. So you recorded a message and sent a bunch of autographs, but the trouble is you just recorded over an old tape. In one of your friend's cameras, not thinking twice about it. And maybe you should have used another tape. You want to tell that story? Uh, yes. This was the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. I, I was told by the boy scouts of America to, um, send them a videotape, uh, to motivate the kids. Yeah. And, uh, I ended up, um, <clears throat> I ended up getting a VHS tape from my friend and we recorded the, the speech. And the thing was the tape was halfway through. It was, you know, the, it wasn't rewound to the beginning. So it was halfway through when we started it. So we recorded it starting halfway through the tape. And I did the speech. It was about five minutes long and we sent it to the boy scouts and they got it. And, the, the Boy Scout, Scout director put it in the VHS and turned it on and rewound it all the way to the beginning. So when he went past where my speech was, he went all the way to the beginning of the tape. And when he turned it on, it was a, a parade down in downtown Pittsburgh. And there was graffiti on the wall. There was a picture of a penis. Uh, there was a picture of a middle finger. The F word, shit. You know, just all kind of stuff. <laughs> and these poor kids, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, were like, what what the hell is this? And the director turned it off real quick. He, you know, he calls me and says, What the hell did you give me? And I said, I don't know. I, I recorded it on the tape. I said, Well, we were wounded to the beginning, and it, you know, it was it was graffiti. I, I don't know what to say. And I, you know, I told him. I'm sorry. He's the, you know, he said, well, I need you to, I need you to write the boy scouts, uh, a letter of an apology. <laughs> so I had to sign an apology letter to the boy scouts for, uh, basically, uh, probably ruined some of the kids psyche for the rest of their lives. 
It's tremendous. What a great story. Uh, I want to mention that was sort of common for you at the time to do these sort of motivational speeches in my research. I saw in just eight months, you spoke at 260 schools. That might be some kind of record. Uh, the, the gist was a lot. I assume your agent, Ralph, he was lining all that up. No, it was my, uh, wrestling manager. The Mm. one I, um, I started with, uh, uh, at the beginning. Oh, actually, you know, you know who it was? It was Dave Hawk, my, my new manager. I didn't have him when I started doing the speeches. He's the first school I did. His kids went to that school. So he put together the speeches for the elementary school where I was going and the high school. So it was a school district. It was um, North Hills, uh, North Hills school district in Pittsburgh. And uh, he, his kids went there. And so he set up the speeches and um, he did such a good job. I said, Hey, you, you want to work with me and we'll continue to keep doing speeches at different schools. So he started doing that for me and things worked out really well. So I made him my manager. He didn't have any experience in the managed department, but you know, he, he worked hard and he, he was learning quickly. So I decided to use him as my manager. Well, right off of the Olympics, man, you're an industry in and of yourself. You've got paid engagements, sponsors, uh, commercial deals, these motivational speaking appearances. And sometimes you're so busy that you start making appearances at seven in the morning and it goes until 10 at night. Uh, so just being Kurt angle is a full-time job here. Is it not? Yes, it was, it, it was very difficult because I didn't have any free time. It was, you know, hitting the pavement, working, uh, making as much as I can, uh, trying to put the, put away a nest egg, um, you know, I, I was always trying to hustle uh, after the Olympics to make as much money as I could while I could. And uh, the problem was I didn't create a brand. I just kind of scattered it all together. And, you know, uh, you know, my, my brain was in different areas. It wasn't all together. I, I didn't formulate a brand. I, everything was separate. So I, you know, I had a hard time juggling everything and it was just getting overwhelming. So I I wanted to focus on one thing and that's where I decided to go into the pro wrestling department and stop doing the speeches. Somewhere in here, you even started to make trips out to LA though. I think you started taking some acting classes. You hosted MTV's beach house with Jenny McCarthy. You did an appearance at Nike town with Gabrielle Reese and Shaq and you even played basketball at Gary Shandling's house with Ben Stiller. So you had some cool Hollywood moments. I think you even appeared on uh, Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno. So y- you had, it feels like some momentum to do some stuff in LA. Did you ever consider moving out there and pursuing that full time? Well, Jimmy Miller, who is a successful Hollywood agent out there, uh, wanted me to come out and, uh, I, I just felt like this is the first time I made any type of money. Um, if I go out there, I might just spend it all, uh, you know, uh, where, and the thing is I wasn't confident, confident enough to be an actor back then because I didn't believe in myself and I wasn't willing to take the chance, you know, all my life, if I always took chances and here 
I had my first set of money that I had a good bit of money and I didn't want to let go of it because right. I didn't want to take a chance of spending it. So I passed on going out to LA and I took a sports casting job in Pittsburgh for Fox uh, news. And um, it was, that was a very humbling experience as well. I, uh, it was a startup station and I didn't know anything about sportcasting. So uh, this this was going to be a learning experience for me. Savewithconrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Matthew up in Delaware. We hooked him up. He gave us a five-star review, and here's what he had to say. I'm a first-time home buyer and the first-time refinancing. And, of course, he puts in parentheses here. After continual encouragement to do so from Conrad on his podcast. Well, Jimmy and the team were knowledgeable, friendly, and flexible with me as I learned about the process. They made everything simple and took care of all my questions and needs. The text message feature from Jimmy was ideal. The process led to me taking five years off of my mortgage. Really think about that. Five years gone. Now, you know what your mortgage payment is to the penny. Multiply it by 60. Because when you cut five years worth of payments off, that's how much money right away gone. We're talking a ton of cash. Let's say it's just a thousand dollars a month is your house payment. That's 60 grand. If your house payment's two grand a month, that's 120 grand worth of house payments. You don't have to make. This is a no brainer. If you're overpaying and you can pay less, why wouldn't you let us run the numbers and just have the peace of mind of knowing that you've got the best deal possible for your family with first family. Get a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. It's no cost, no obligation. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. We're licensed in more than 40 states. So what are you waiting for? Savewithconrad.com. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Come on. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Savewithconrad.com. Yeah, I think it was uh, Fox 53 in Pittsburgh and as a sportscaster, I think your tagline is going to be, and that's the angle on sports, which is kind of a fun little play on word. And the, uh, the story I read was you're walking to the producer and the printed copies of your script goes flying all over the new set. And they tell you, don't worry about that. Just read the teleprompter, but then it goes black. So you're about to pitch to football and the director cuts to golf. Uh, this has to be a tough spot to be in for a guy who already admits, Hey, I'm not super comfortable with this. And now it's not going well. And it's live TV, pal. Right? Yes. This is my first night in the air. And, oh. you know, I, I did very little, um, you know, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, rehearsing. I yeah. did very little rehearsing. So, uh, you know, going into the studio and I was in a rush and I had my scripts together and I ran the producer. My scripts went in the air and they just went all over the floor. And the producer said, forget about them. We're late. You got to, you know, read the teleprompter. Just read the prompter. And I went to, you know, it said time for the angle on sports. And, you know, the guy said my name and I pop up and the teleprompter is completely pitch black. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And the producer's saying, Kurt, say something. <laughs> He's telling my ear, say something, anything. And I was like, uh, okay, the NFL had games today. Let's cut to the highlights. And it ended up being a golf highlight. I had the wrong first story. So, And every time I went 
I would the next one I would say, and now it's football. It would be baseball or basketball. So it, it was all out of order, and there was no way I was going to be able to recover. And it was the worst eight minutes of my life. And you know the 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 head um, sports anchor of the weekday sport sports anchor uh, LB Oxenrider. He said, I've been doing this for 17 years. That never happened to me. And I thought, well, that's that's my luck. My first time the teleprompter goes black. So it, it was it was a crazy experience. So in typical Kurt Angle fashion, uh, you start coming in late. Uh, I mean, staying late, rather, coming in early. I mean, you're putting in the extra time to really work at it and get better. But w- just when you start to get comfortable, the station manager pulls you and says, okay, now you're our on-site reporters. You're going to be out in the field, going to games, talking to athletes, but here there's no teleprompter. So all the stuff you've been working on doesn't matter anymore. But I think when I, when I read your book, I sort of get the impression you didn't like the way it felt to be in the locker room, not as a athlete, but as a reporter and maybe some of the way those folks treated you when maybe before they would have treated you totally differently. And you just throw the towel in on broadcasting. What can you tell us about that? Yes, I, I got kind of demoted to a uh, sports reporter from sports anchor. Right. And uh, I started going out in the field and covering sports and, you know, interviewing athletes. And it just got really weird. Um, you know, these athletes no longer looked at me as a, as a peer. They were, you know, they were short with me and they were not real respectful and you know, I just felt like, uh, this wasn't for me and I, I don't want to be in this position. I, you know, I, I actually want respect from other athletes and, uh, having this job just was a little, uh, very humbling and it, it just wasn't for me. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it wasn't the right fit. I was just trying to find something to do and find something to keep me busy. And I thought the sports casting, I would do it for a year or two or three. And, uh, I wasn't surprised when I quit. So it was one year and I was done somewhere in here. As you mentioned earlier, Dave Hawk, a friend of yours and a, a former pro bodybuilder, he's going to bring you a new snack. It's not chicken snacks. This is an ostrich meat snack. That's like a beef jerky style product that Dave was trying to sell to WWE. Of course, WWE doesn't bite. And eventually you start watching Monday night raw and raw is war in the fall of 98, because Dave thought maybe that's worth another look. And that's when you call Jr. And as you said, that original offer had been rescinded. Now they're going to have to earn your stripes. And part of that involved a training camp run by Dr. Tom Pritchard and Dory Funk jr. What can you tell us about that training camp? The training camp was great. It was, it was strictly physical. It was, it was all about training, uh, learning to take bumps, learning how to sell, learning how to tell a story in a match. Uh, there was a lot of technique involved. Dory Funk is incredible technician. So he, he, he likes the basic wrestling moves. And so does Tom, Tom Pritchard also, uh, you couldn't ask for any better trainers. So they, um, they had a Dory Funk dojo and they would have it once a month for five days. So it wasn't a lot of training. I needed more than that. If I was going to be, uh, you know, when I was signed with WWE and, you know, having five days a month just wasn't enough. And, uh, so 
after a couple months of that, uh, they ended up sending me to Memphis to be a part of a, uh, Memphis championship wrestling. Before we get to Memphis, I want to mention in my research, I found that you impressed everyone so much on day one with the way you quote unquote attacked the mat that word got back to Jim Ross and Jim actually visits the camp with a contract in hand. And at the time it was the biggest deal that someone in developmental had gotten. Was that the $52,000 deal? That was it. Yes. Um, I'm not sure it was the biggest deal, but, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know it was, I thought it was a basic deal, but the thing is you're right about that. And I, I was only there for an hour. Uh, my, I w I was picking up on everything so quickly that the first day JR came over and to the warehouse where the wrestling ring was and offered me a contract the same day that I started. Uh, it wasn't the next day or the third day. It was that day. Wow. So wow. I was doing something right. Uh, you know, that was the fastest signing or tryout by anybody in the history of pro wrestling. So I, I was, you know, that made me very confident that I was onto something and I was, in the right place in my life. Do you remember one thing in particular you did that really impressed Dr. Tom and, and Dory? I think it was letting people lead me. Um, in other words, when you're an amateur wrestler, you're very aggressive. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I was at the Dory Funk Dojo when Tank Abbott came in. And when Tank was in the ring, he was uh, squared up with the wrestler and Tank was attacking him, and the wrestler was running away from him and trying to get distance, and, and Tank was just trying to smother him. And, you know, they were like, no, 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 no. You got to rest. You got to take your time. You got to tie up. You, you know, you, you have to, um, you know, show your technique. And it's not, about, it's not a fight. It's not trying to knock him out as fast as possible. That's, that's what Tank was trying to do. Right. I took the approach, I'm going to learn this, so I'm going to take a defensive approach. I'm not going to be aggressive, and I'm going to slow down and let them do what they want to do to me. I'm going to bump, and I'm going to sell. I'm not going to do anything offensive. Nothing on offense, everything defense. And I think they noticed that I turned that switch off of my head, and I was able to pick up the technique involved that you needed to sell and uh, take bumps. And it was, you know, I, I just decided I was learning something new and I had to forget everything I ever did in amateur wrestling because all the rules of amateur wrestling are the complete opposite of pro wrestling. You show no emotion in amateur wrestling. You don't show your opponent that you're scared or you're angry or you're upset uh, or you're excited you know, you don't show the crowd. You you can show the crowd when you celebrate after you win, but they they don't show emotion in the matches, and they're not telling a story. They're trying to get the match over with as quickly as possible. Right? They can pin you in five seconds. They're going to pin you. So the the system is different. You know, you either going for the kill right away, or you're telling a story in a wrestling match. And I I was getting that because. I turned off my instincts from amateur wrestling and decided this is something new and it worked. Uh, I read in, or actually Bruce told us too, that when you're working with Tom Pritchard within 15 or 20 minutes, Tom was telling people you were taking 
flat back bumps better than a lot of pros. And that's when <laughs> it, it came out the, the phrase attacking the mat. Tom said that you were not scared or shy away from taking a bump. And that that's really one of the first hurdles that anyone has to overcome in learning wrestling, but that was no issue for you, right? No, but I'm going to tell you this, the first, you know, hundred bumps I took hurt like a son of a bitch. <laughs> um, I, I didn't want to attack the mat. It's just what I was taught and I, I didn't want to disappoint them, but I was terrified. I was I didn't like bumping. Uh, nobody likes bumping. You you get used to it. You get a feel for it eventually. But, uh, you know, your body's not set up to take thousands of bumps. You know, that's not what the human body was, you know, uh, meant to do. Uh, it, you know, it can take a toll on your body. So um, it hurt like a son of a bitch. But, you know, I was doing what I was told. And uh, I did it pretty, pretty damn good. Uh, as Bruce tells the story on our podcast, Tom would train with you in the morning. Then you guys would uh, go work out and do cardio. And then you wanted to get back in the ring. So Tom would be all worn out and beat up every day after spending roughly eight hours with you. How important was Dr. Tom to your early development? He was so vital, uh, having him around all the time, accessible, uh, you know, being able to ask him questions, him giving me answers, uh, you know, it was like, a, you know, it was, it was more of, a, a, I guess, in a boosted, you know, program, a quicker program, a more advanced program being my coach or, I, you know, Bruce or Tom being my coach. It was, it was very, very good for me. And I can't thank Tom enough. He was so knowledgeable about everything. He had an answer to everything and his answers were always right. So, you know, having Tom as my coach was incredible. It was the best move I ever made. Conrad continues to bring you the best in wrestling nostalgia from Bruce Pritchard creating in the WWE to Eric Bischoff running WCW plus Jim Ross, Arn Anderson and Tony Schiavone and now, of course, Kurt Angle enters the mix each and every week. But I can assure you there's even more, and you can find it at adfreeshows.com. Conrad does not slow down as he's created even more great content with his Conversations with Conrad series, which are available in both audio and video exclusively at adfreeshows.com. The wrestling world was a buzz over his conversation with WCW executive Jim Hurd and are now talking about his latest masterpiece for the first time ever exclusively on adfreeshows.com. You can hear the first of his two part interview with the owner of Jim Crockett promotions, Jim Crockett. They, they were bigger than wrestling at that point. But when that full horseman thing came out, it was like, ah, oh, aha. Uh-huh. I mean that that was that was it. Magnum was 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 the future of the business for us or Vince. It didn't matter where he was. He was going up from the start of the Horseman to his thoughts on Magnum. It's just scratching the surface on what you will hear during this three-hour special, and it's only part one. So join the family now and catch up on conversations with Conrad and so much more at AdFreeShows.com all ad free so sign up today join the fastest growing wrestling community 
Again, over at adfreeshows.com. The very first match we could find you worked was on August 20th in Salem, Massachusetts for the world wrestling Alliance in front of around 350 fans. There's lots of future stars on the card, the Hardy boys, the Headbangers, Scott Taylor, edge and Christian and Kurt angle. Uh, and in your first match, uh, you lost Tom Pritchard would beat you that night in a match. Was Tom your first official match or in training match rather like this, uh, for my for a spot show yeah. for a show. Yes. Um, we were doing matches at the warehouse, you know, practice matches. Right. Uh, I think my first match was with Christian, but my first show match was against Tom and I, you know, I, I lost that match. So, uh, you know, my whole concept of never wanting to lose went, went out the window. I think that was more of a stick it to me. Um, from the, the upper tiers of WWE to let me know you're not going to be undefeated. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Bruce probably remembered. I can't lose. And Tom, Tom gets the nod to beat you. <laughs> yeah. you. You did mention your first like training match was with Christian. And I think in your book, you said that Christian really helped you through the match. He was calling the spots and taking good care of you. He had been on the independence for a long time. How important yes. was Christian as a resource in training camp here? Well, Christian was vital for me because he he was also very knowledgeable and he was a, a young guy that I could, you know, grow a relationship with and have a, you know, strong relationship with and learn more from him. He he had a tryout match. That match that I had with Christian, it was only my second month. So I we did five days of training the first month. We did five train days of training the second month. And that's when we had that match and it was Christian's tryout match for TV and it was against me and I didn't know what I was doing. So Christian had to rely on me, but he, you know, because he couldn't rely on me, he had to rely doubly on himself because he had to carry me through the match and it was his tryout match to get on TV, which didn't make any sense. I didn't know why it was me. But uh, we ended up having a great match. He talked me through the whole thing. Uh, I was when I started out, I was a great listener. And in order to be a great leader, you need to be a great follower. You have to learn how to listen. You have to keep your mouth shut, listen to the advice, and take it as it is. And I was really good at that. So I became a great leader a couple years later. And uh, you know, Christian taught me that. Let's talk about something that happened in camp here, and then we'll move on to Memphis. But I think it was mentioned in our something to wrestle podcast with Bruce that at some point during this camp, guys are practicing, doing a promo and you gave what most would describe as a white meat baby face promo, basically what a good guy would have been in the eighties, maybe like a Bob Backlund type. And Bruce apparently is here, stands up and says, that was a great heel promo. And supposedly Dor Dory Funk Jr. gets a little upset with Bruce over this, but looking back, that's probably the framework for your initial character, right? Yes, it was. It was, you know, uh, Olympic gold medalist. I, you know, I, I, I take care of my body. I, I do all the right things. I'm an educated young man. I uh, went to college, uh, have, uh, you know, medals and trophies and great, you know, I'm, I'm the, kid that your parents want you to date and you know just all the white meat yeah. crap that you know goes with it and 
you know, because of characters like Stone Cold Steve Austin that broke the mold, you know, the badasses, the bad guys became the good guys. And the good guys turned out being the bad guys. Uh, you know, it, you know, my character in WWE when I started, it was a bit, you know, white meat babyface, but it was there was that little thing where you were like, is this guy for real? Is he is he feeding me bullshit or if he or is he the real deal? Because, you know, I preached all the time. And, you know, it was Vince's idea to have that. And uh, you know, it, when The Rock was trying to be a babyface the first time and it backfired, Vince used the same mold for me, but he knew it was going to backfire on me. He didn't know it was going to backfire on The Rock. So he used that same mold to make me who I was. And it worked extremely well. I became the top heel in the business within my first year. Yeah. It was it was pretty quick. And uh I, I couldn't be more excited about it. I, you know, I, I, I wanted to go to TV. I, I, I look forward to going on TV every week. My character, when I started, I, I loved doing it. I love making an ass on myself. I love the crowd booing me and, uh, you know, not respecting me. And I loved, you know, having these matches and cheating the win and preaching that I don't cheat to win. You know, it right. was just, it was a really cool thing to do. And, uh, you know, I was a bit overwhelmed my first year. Let's talk about, um, independence before you get down to Memphis, the WWE gets you booked on some random independent shows in the Northeast, any fun or interesting stories from working those shows with like East coast wrestling association or Pennsylvania championship wrestling. I don't remember much about it. Uh, I didn't even know the names of their, right. <laughs> you know, they, they kept us so busy that, uh, we would be at the, uh, Funkin dojo for, you know, three or four days. And then we go up to Boston or up in the Northeast and do a couple shows and come home real quick. So, uh, you know, we were only there for a couple hours and I, I didn't really pay attention to what I was, you know, where I was and sure. what I was doing. So, uh, but, but the shows were very instrumental in getting me better. Those shows were some of the best shows that I could have been part of because my, my, uh, my, uh, I guess, you know, the, my progress was, you know, getting a lot better, quicker with these matches. Working so in front of a these crowd. spot matches right. were great. Yeah, working the crowd and yeah, telling the story in the match, uh, all that stuff was coming out. I was starting to get more comfortable. Well, eventually, you get sent down to Randy Hale's uh, Power Pro Wrestling in Memphis, which was one of the developmental territories for the company at the time. You make your TV debut there because they still had Memphis TV Mar uh, March 20th, 1999. Uh, you're going to debut against a masked opponent named yellow jacket. And, uh, he's going to arm drag you celebrate like a heel. And then you beat him with a quick belly to belly suplex yellow jacket, by the way, was Jerry Lawler's other son, Kevin Lawler. What do you remember about working in Memphis with Randy Hales and power pro wrestling? Uh, Randy Hales, he, he was, uh, you know, he was all right. Um, you know, he, he didn't have plans, uh, of doing anything with me down there. Um, when I started out, I was opening card, uh, six months later, 
I was still opening card. I mean, they, you know, they, I only did one promo on TV on their TV show. And that was, I think the first day I, I showed up. Um, so I, I, I didn't have a lot down there. Uh, the thing was, uh, you know, at one point when Vince wanted to bring me up to TV, they contacted Randy Hales and said, listen, we need Kurt to win the Memphis championship wrestling world title. We need them to beat Rikishi. And Randy said, I, I, I don't have him prepared to do that because he's only been wrestling opening card matches. And they said, well, you're going to just have to do it. Right. He was like, I, I can't. I, how do I tell that story? And they said, you just figure it out. So I, I ended up going from opening card to win the world title, <laughs> Memphis Championship Wrestling, uh, beating Rikishi. And uh, that brought me up to TV. And it was so Randy didn't do a lot with me. I, I was really surprised that he just had no interest. And I, I think because, you know, back then I was trying to get away from my Olympic character. Mm. I had a different look. I had more of a stone cold look and. I was trying to be somebody else and I wanted to be the badass, uh, you know, who I, you know, watching my idol on TV, Stone Cold Steve Austin, I wanted to be him. And uh, it, it just didn't work, uh, you know, cause I wasn't him and uh, nor did I want to be, I just thought I wanted to be. Right. And, you know, uh, Austin, when he was the most popular character on in the WWE in the world. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do what he was doing. I wanted to succeed like him. I just didn't know if I wanted to beat him. And uh, I'm glad I didn't turn out to be him. That's, you know, I'm glad I went back to my Olympic character because that worked out extremely well. I want to mention, uh, you talked about winning that title from Rikishi. You debut on March 20th. You win that belt on July 24th. So you hadn't been there too terribly long and you're already the champ. You do start doing some dark matches for the WWE. Uh, I think, um, there's a good chance if you're listening to this and you went to a live show in 99, you may have seen Kurt angle, uh, in the dark match. Uh, one of those happened, uh, May 10th in 99 and his opponent that night was Owen Hart. Of course, just a couple of weeks later, we would tragically lose Owen Hart. And I know a lot of fans still consider that to be a dream match, man. What would it have looked like to see you wrestle Brett or Owen, but you actually did have a chance to wrestle Owen. What do you remember about that match? Uh, the match was incredible. Uh, Owen carried me through the whole thing. Uh, he, he came up with some great ideas and the crazy thing was he, he would, he would audible during the match. He, you know, he would, you know, switch moves around and, he would he would let me know you know ahead of time what we were doing but he he would adjust and he's the first person that i ever went in the ring with that would change the match and adjust uh just because of a fan reaction right you know the other person was stone cold steve austin he he could adjust to anything that guy was the best in ring worker i ever worked with he uh He's very underrated in the ring, but Owen was one of the best too. He, he, he was a great in-ring worker and he could call the matches in the ring. He could plan them beforehand. He, he was so versatile and, you know, he, he could wrestle any style. That's what made him so, uh, so valuable. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. 
and I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renter insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. On July 25th at fully loaded 99, Kurt Angle made his pay-per-view debut, sort of. He's a spectator for the Shamrock Steve Blackman match. They're doing an iron circle match. I guess it's kind of funny in hindsight because we're all watching two of the toughest guys in the history of the company, not realizing maybe the most legit tough guy is an onlooker here. Uh, sort of a fun little Easter egg by 99 survivor series. It's time for your in-ring debut and your match is against Sean Stasiak, who I believe was also in your first training camp and one of your first opponents as well. Right? Yes. I trained with Sean. I think that's the reason they had me debut with him. So I'd be comfortable, uh, for my debut and, so Sean, Sean had a great night. We had a great match and it wasn't very long. Uh, I do remember during the match, uh, when Vince McMahon, uh, told me to, you know, uh, go out and grab the microphone and tell the fans, you do not, you do not boo an Olympic gold medalist. And it was like, holy shit. He's telling me to get up go out to the ring. Uh, I was like, I asked the ref, the ref told me to do this. And I said, ref, how do I, you know, how do I knock Sean down so I can go outside? He said, just get up, work out of your hold and clothesline him and go outside, grab the microphone. I was like, Oh, okay. And I, I went out and the fans were, were booing me. And I said, you do not boo an Olympic gold medalist. I'm the best in the world. You do not boo me. And they booed me even worse. And then that's where I got the, the reaction. That's where I got the heel rub was from that first match at survivor series against Sean Stasiak. And, uh, because there was no excitement for the match, nobody was interested in that match. Right. Uh, probably because Sean just started. I just started. Nobody knew who we were. Right. Um, so there was no way that, uh, the match would mean anything. So Vince came up with the idea of, you know, pulling myself away from Sean and cutting a promo on the crowd to get him roused up. And it, it did, it worked. Talk to me a little bit about your look and your character. I mean, you're obviously doing everything they're asking of you down in Memphis. You're getting good reactions. They've got you coming, working some dark matches. Is it Jim Ross or someone else who calls and says, Hey, we're ready to put you on TV. Uh, what does that process look like? And did they have like, we've seen, oh, as, as we've just celebrated 30 years of the undertaker, there were sketches of what they wanted this undertaker character to look like. Did they have a, a certain look or presentation in mind for you as far as your gear and all that goes? No, they, they wanted me to just be me, but Vince was going to ramp me up a bit. Um, you know, he wanted the same singlet look for, from the Olympics and, uh, you know, bright red shoes and just look, look sharp and look like a champion is what he said. And, uh, you know, the things I did and said, uh, that was all written by either Vince or Brian Gewartz. And uh, Brian was a great writer. He wrote a lot of stuff for me. And uh, he did did an excellent job of it. And he could relate to my character because he's kind of a, you know, Brian is a cool kid, but he's a dork. 
and uh you know he he gets the whole character the the olympic character and what what vince was trying to bring out the milk drinking dork and uh so brian could relate to that he was really good at writing my stuff for me well that's going to be a story for another day i don't know what i expected with today's episode but this exceeded expectations again you're two for two mr angle how does it feel (laughs) to be a podcaster Oh, it feels great. I, I'm still trying to get the rust and the kinks out, but, uh, I, I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun telling stories. It's, it's really cool. Well, if you haven't already follow us on Twitter, uh, it's at the angle pod. You can also find our Instagram and our Facebook there. Uh, we're going to have some fun interactive contests for you guys to get some more bonus content from following us there in the future. You can also look forward to seeing more of Kurt over at adfreeshows.com. You get these shows early and ad free as well as the video. And we're going to have some fun interactive stuff coming up with Kurt in the near future. Uh, but next week, we're going to be back with yet another Kurt Angle show. Tell your friends to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Leave us a five star review if you think we've earned it. And uh, don't forget to tag us in your social media posts. We're trying to get the word out about your favorite new wrestling podcast that drops on Sundays at 6 a.m. Thanks to Westwood One. Uh, until next time, he is Kurt Angle, your Olympic gold medalist. I am Conrad Thompson, and we'll see you next week right here. On the Kurt Angle Show from Westwood One. See you guys. We're helping people across the country at SaveWithConrad.com. And what are we helping them do? Keep more of their own money. Just ask Toby in Oklahoma. We hooked him up. He gave us a five-star review, and here's what he had to say. Conrad's team was able to do everything I hoped for. They helped me reduce my mortgage term by 13 years, paid off my car and credit cards, and dropped my interest rate significantly. Now, who doesn't want to do that? Do you want a better interest rate? Yes. Would you like to pay off all your credit cards? Just like that, of course. Wouldn't it be cool to pay off your car? Oh, and by the way, pay your house off 13 years faster? Are you kidding? It sounds too good to be true, but we're doing it every single day at SaveWithConrad.com for families just like you. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. It really is a fast and easy quick quote. What have you got to lose? What if you could save 13 years? What if you could pay off your car? What if you could knock out all your credit cards? Hurry, these rates won't last forever. And I want to help you make sure your debt doesn't last forever either. Go to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's right. You can pocket your house payments for the next two months at SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.